the biggest lesson from this book is really for me, from the person who wrote it, because I had to put everything into perspective. I had to put it into writing. And it's like the best way to learn something is to teach someone else about something. So it was like a psychotherapy for me and uh, uh, the best way for me to close my chapter of my life, literally and figuratively. And uh, what I learned in the process is that I absolutely love uh, working in the emerging markets. I felt like when you're opening a business in an underdeveloped country, you're not building another social media app or another uh, financial tool that only creates virtual money. You're actually making real business that solves real problems of real people. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 191 with international investor Merrick Mazowski. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, You got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, JC Preston, connector of amazing people and great ideas. And joining me as co-host for the first time in this session is Yael Johnson, founder of the Life Teaches Foundation. Of course, this is the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists so that you too can find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. So, wow. First session of 2021. And man, I couldn't be happier to finally put last year behind us. Uh, True, most things aren't going to change overnight, but there's that possibility that things might go really well this next year. But there's also that off chance that this year will be 2020 part two. And that said, I think that this session's interview with Merrick is something we can all relate to. Uh, Merrick's been practically through every situation you can as an entrepreneur over his career. And as much as he might actually seem really successful today, he's also been on the bottom and has had to claw his way up a couple of times. And one of those situations, he uh, he actually writes about in his book, Chasing Black Unicorns. And it's really the story about him building the Amazon of Africa and how things went sideways when he wanted to buy out his business partner to take the platform to the next level. And not only did his partner not want to give up any control of the company, but he thought he'd outsmart Merrick by getting the police involved. Just like 2020 started out well for so many of us and then spiraled into an existence none of us was really prepared for, uh, the same thing happened to Merrick with his company. And so in this interview, we find out some of the things he learned from that experience and how it's changed him moving forward. More specifically, we discuss why he got started in investing in international business in the first place, how he was able to move past the drama with his business partner in Interpol, and in what ways he's been able to leverage all of his experience into something better moving forward. But before we get into the conversation, I want to give you a little bit update of my experience with Groove Funnels, or should I actually say Groove? Because 
they recently changed the name of the platform to simply that Groove. And of course, the reason being is because of all the things that come with membership is, and again, currently for one lifetime price. Personally, I've taken some time to get experience with one of the, the pieces in particular. It's called Groove Pages. And while it might not work perfectly to get to the end result yet, once you do have something made, the responsiveness of the end product is pretty awesome. Um, instead of building everything in scripts like ClickFunnels and, and WordPress and a lot of the other solutions that are out there, it actually builds everything in HTML. And as you guys might know, you know HTML has been what the internet was built on before broadband even existed. So... Basically, the stuff that could go through 56K is going to be much, 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 much faster going through broadband. And so you might be asking, why is that important? Because it helps your SEO score. And the reason why is that Google just loves speed in web pages. Uh, and then there's the next thing I'm, I'm going to be working on and understanding is how to use Groove to build a membership site with an affiliate opportunity built in. And unlike other platforms that are out there, Groove allows anyone with an account, free or not, to become an affiliate for Groove. And this allows for what the CEO of the company, Mike Filsame, calls butterfly marketing. And it's actually a tactic he's been using since the mid-2000s with his products. But what's cool is the way in which Groove allows its users to implement is, is really next-level stuff. A quick example is imagine if you could have free or paid users of your digital course or software out in the wild sharing your brand. Sure, there's some strategy behind it, but it's it's worked for Groove in 2020 to make 50 million in sales, and that's after April. So really, if you were to use the same methods and just have a little fraction of the success that they have, I mean, can you imagine what 2021 could where it could actually take you? I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. So personally, I'm excited to find out. And if you want to join me on this journey, feel free to do so. You can go to newinceptions.com slash freegroove. Uh, again, that's newinceptions.com slash free groove. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the conversation. Simply tag us on social media and let us know what ideas or questions come up during the conversation. Also, be sure to leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to the show on. Doing so will not only get you involved, but it will help other people find the show. And as usual, if you leave a review on Apple Podcast, I'll be sure to read it in an upcoming session. And while you're at it, subscribe to the show as well. That way you'll be notified whenever a new episode is available. Finally, if you need help in scaling your business, uh, drop us a message at newinceptions.com with any of your questions. Whether you need advice in doing something with your business better or a strategic introduction to other amazing people, we love to help our listeners in any way that we can. Show notes and show note extras of the show can be found at newinceptions.com slash 191. And as always, I'll be on at the end of the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey everyone, this is JC Preston alongside soon-to-be Yael Johnson, a recent guest and a new addition to our co-host lineup. Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the show. Yael, what is up? I'm doing great. I'm currently rereading the four-hour work week, even though even though the book's 10 years old now. I find myself revisiting old lessons when I catch myself slipping into old habits. So mm -hmm. it's a reminder of how I'm using my time. Yeah, yeah, then that's that's pretty important, I think, this year, because a lot of people, you know, for the most part, time has been lost. I think for a majority of the population around the world, this has probably been a really, really quick year because 
of the simple fact that it's like day in and day out of a lot of times monotony. You know, you're not really looking to any like big events or anything like that. You're not really, you know, just doing things that you would normally do, which would seem to pace Mm -hmm. out the year. And so I think it's just kind of all running together. And so I think it's really cool that, you know, you're, you're, you're focusing more so on following your, your passion than, um, the chasing the dollar bills. That's really important, but you know, it's interesting, but, but actually during this year of COVID, I'd say that just about everyone has become pretty used to doing things virtually. And it seems like what a lot of us online business folks have been doing in the past, uh, the rest of the world is really now just catching up. Um, you know, we've become reliant as a society on platforms like Zoom to communicate with each other. And Amazon has also picked up even more customers simply because, you know, traditional retail stores really weren't able to keep up if they were even open this past year. Today's guest is someone who realized that this trend was happening in uh, around 2012 and went to Nigeria to recreate Amazon for that specific region. However, his story takes a huge twist in that as he was building this company, his local partner caused him all kinds of problems. And eventually he realized that this couldn't continue and he tried to buy him out. When he tried, the local partner didn't agree to the terms. And that's where things really start to get interesting. However, to keep a long story short and to leave the whole story to his book, uh, Chasing Black Unicorns, our guest, Merrick Mislowski, ended up being chased by Interpol, who had a request for extradition to get him back to Nigeria. So really interesting story here. And before we get started, Merrick can be found at MerrickMislowski.com. Merrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks for being here, Merrick. I'm I'm really excited to speak with you. Uh, you have built an international empire, but sort of by accident. You thought you were creating a business that would fill a gap that you saw in the market, and things did not go quite as planned. Yeah. I don't want to give away too much, so yeah. why don't we start with your initial entry into the business world? What was your first business? Yeah, let me give you a, a, a 60 seconds breakdown of my life, really, <laughs> just to put everything okay. into context. So I was born and raised in uh, post-communist Poland. That's where I really started my first so-called career in the financial sector. Those were the early year 2000s where literally everything you would touch in the financial markets would turn into so-called gold. (laughs) That's how we made our first big money. And that's how we also lost all our money because then 2008 came. Um, Funnily enough, I got then hired because I was bankrupt and I had to, you know, just find any job to to pay my bills. It was a very big lesson of humility, really. Uh, anyway, I was hired by my friend who was then building so-called startups in e-commerce in Poland. And he told me, oh, no, I'm not going to pay you much. This is a new company, but I'm going to help you. And also, here are some shares in the company. Maybe in the future, this will be worth a lot. And I was the luckiest guy ever because he actually sold his company after two years for a lot of money. And the shares that I got from him, it really allowed me to pay my debts. And that, that's when I was like, I think I'm going to stay in this online business and e-commerce for a little bit longer. And I was essentially looking for markets where I can bring successful business models that are not there yet. And as crazy as it sounds, I ended up in Nigeria uh, with an investment fund, and we basically decided to build the Amazon of Africa. That's what it's called. It was one of the craziest adventures of my life because it took us eight years. Long story short, the company went public on New York Stock Exchange last year. Uh, I also did a couple of other investments in the process, believing in Nigeria. One of them got myself into trouble with some powerful people you don't want to have anything to do with. And... uh, Takeover attempt of the company uh, and a blackmail, which had had the Nigerian police involved, 
was basically, you're either going to give us the company or we're going to put you to jail for 21 years. And that's why I decided to write a book about it because many people told me that my adventures are not average. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) No, no, not at all. So let's talk about starting a business in Africa. You know, at this point, you had already had success in in the business world and have actually worked with a couple of students to get started an online business uh, from Nigeria. And it's just crazy that, you know, all the red tape that they have to go through. I can only imagine that what it was like to start something on that scale that you were really wanting to. So with all that Africa has been labeled, why take such a huge chance chance to really build something new there? So I guess I did not have any proper strategy when I did that. At that time, that was early 2012. I just wanted to do something international. And I just was super lucky again to meet this mm. big, big investment fund from Germany called Jurakat Internet that has had already had history of building e-commerce groups in very early stage markets. They've done this in Eastern Europe. They've done this in Russia. They've done this in Brazil. Um, and they had wanted to do this next time in Africa. And they were the ones telling me, you know, Africa is the next big thing. You guys should, you, you should really uh, jump aboard with us. Um, and I was like, I have nothing to lose. I didn't mm. have a family. I recently broke up with my girlfriend. I had some ups and downs in Poland. Uh, you know, starting with the bankruptcy, then to making some money in, in Poland in the online and e-commerce space. And I was like, it seems like it looks like a, a next big step for me, taking my adventure international. And I was thinking, I'm going to go there for 6 to 12 months. Worst case, I'm going to spend some investment fund money and I'm going to come back. Uh, and those you know, 12 months turned into what is now almost nine years of, uh, of, of business there. And now it makes sense from hindsight. And, and in the process, I've learned, okay, I actually love doing this. I love bringing business models and, and building them in very, very emerging markets, uh, very early stage markets. Uh, now I see that I liked it and I'm pretty good at it because I thrive on chaos. Um, and I like that, uh, that sexiness of those markets, that huge potential that also comes with risks. But back then it was just going with the flow. There was no strategy mm-hmm. back then. It only looks nice now. <laughs> <laughs> so you were actually pretty successful at, as things were getting started though. I mean, what, what are some of the key steps that, you know, you, that looking back now, that you took to getting those things going? Well, it was definitely helpful for me to have my first ups and downs in Poland, my home country. Uh, as crazy as mm-hmm. it sounds, one of the e-commerce business we have built in Poland in the funeral sector, and because uh, no one was really trying to do that, <laughs> but funeral is a big business when you look at the numbers, and it's a, it's a sector that everyone needs. Not yeah. too many young people want to, you know, everyone wanted yeah. to do a second Facebook or build a second uh, YouTube. No one was thinking about funeral business. So for me, it was like a protection from potential competition. And uh, again, it's also in the book, there's even a chapter about that. Uh, what I've learned is that in countries like Poland that used to be communist, the people that are in the funeral sector are really those old communist policemen, all those internal spies that no one wanted to hire anywhere else. So they ended up, en- you know, ending up in this funeral business. And those were, again, very peculiar people to do business with because essentially we were running online marketing services for those guys. Um, and dealing with an early stage market like Poland with different strange sectors like funeral business kind of got me used to uh, corruption, chaos, sometimes uh, lack of safety uh, that then I had to face in Nigeria. Um, but especially with with what I've been doing, one of the crucial um, crucial part of increasing chances of your business success is obviously besides 
being able to to raise some money because startups, which is what I'm involved in, these are not businesses that make money from month number one. These are businesses that you have to raise money first for, then hope to scale up, and the scale will be big enough to pay your overhead costs. This is a very big bet. So in order to le- leverage that bet, in order to maximize your chances, there are two ways to go about it. You either raise a lot of money, so even if you do some stuff wrong, um, you still have money to survive and you can, you can wait. Uh, or when you don't raise enough money, you have to be extremely precise, precisely good, like laser focused and laser precise in terms of timing. Because when you look at emerging markets, uh, there are certain business models which have a chance to succeed depending on where the market is with its development. Like you, you wouldn't be able to launch Uber in Lagos in Nigeria until there's enough taxi drivers that look for a job and have a smartphone, right? You wouldn't be able to launch Airbnb 10 years mm-hmm. ago or 20 years ago in Cape Town in South Africa if there was not enough trust between the, the, the hosts and the guests, not to use the hotel, but to actually go into someone's private house and not be scared for your life and so on and so on. Uh, so these are just two examples, but y- you need to be very good at observing what is the stage of the market development and whether your business model is already valid and viable to make its own money or it's just a fancy thing. And, and unless you have a lot of money, uh, it doesn't have a chance to, to survive. So it's, the, it's that feeling of the right timing, uh, depending on where the market is. That was very crucial for us. Uh, and it's not like we're geniuses at it. It's like we've made so many mistakes. You know, ten la- ten businesses we've launched, nine of them would go down because of the timing uh, problems or lack of funding. So you're working to build the Amazon of Africa to fill a need and expand the resources to others. Conflict was starting between yourself and your co-founder, and that's always tough. I understand you ca- you decided to buy him out. Tell us about. Uh, yeah that process how how did you come to that decision yeah so that that conflict all emerged with the with the second company i started there uh, the e-commerce group which is now like called amazon uh, it's called jumia.com it's already on new york stock exchange and, and that was a great adventure but the second one called hotel online which was a software company that was focused on building software products for hospitality in africa and that's where the problem started and um, what where everything started is the fact that I haven't chosen my business partner the right way. I really fell a victim of so-called stereotypes of launching business in an exotic country. In my case, it was Nigeria because I left my first big group, the e-commerce one. Uh, I had cash to start another one, another business, but I didn't have that support of a huge investment fund that could protect me. I was on my own. So everyone was telling me, um, watch out, you don't want to do business with. Um, with local people because they might take advantage of you. You're just a foreigner. Uh, just watch out because you know Nigeria doesn't have the best PR, unfortunately. And I kind of mm-hmm. believed in that PR, right? You know, like you, you Google Nigeria on, and you, you don't have too many positive articles to start with. Yeah. Wh- wh- right. Which prince is going to be emailing you today, right? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have money for you. Yeah. Just send me your credit card details. Yeah, that's the <laughs> exact exactly. <laughs> So I felt the victim of the, and I believe those stereotypes. And I found a pretty strong company that was run for the second decade by a foreigner living in Nigeria. So it's an Indian guy that actually 
graduated from a very prestige university in Europe many years ago, and he's been running this big conglomerate in Nigeria, also with a Nigerian passport. But I thought that because he has this connection with the so-called Western world in Europe that I felt more familiar with, there's a lower chance he might screw me over. Like, let's just be honest. That's what I thought. You know? And uh, uh, so that's the beginning. Then what has happened is that I didn't totally, I totally didn't pay attention to the personality match between me and him. We were really the same in terms of what we're good at, what we're weak at. Uh, we both had big egos. And remember, at that time, I was this young, cocky CEO that thought, I thought I can do anything because of my success with the e-commerce group right, that I was a part of. And uh, he was seeming really the same. And conflicts can erupt in a matter of seconds. You know, if you have two cocky guys in the company and, and at some point they just decide to win the argument, not because of what's the best, best for the company, but because of what's best for their ego. And that's what was really like an, a volcano that was about to erupt. And that's what really triggered the whole situation because what started as a disagreement in where the company should go, I think there was a disagreement whether we should invest, uh, whether we should raise more money from investors or cut costs to be profitable already. We wanted to merge with another business. It all started as a normal conflict that you have on a daily basis in a company between management board. And, and at some point, it just erupted. And we mm. said some stuff like, I hate you, you know, shut up, let, let me run the company, you know nothing about it. Um, it just became like a nasty conflict, personality conflict. And at some more point, he decided that, I, as, 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 you, uh, as you read properly, I offered him a, a deal to buy him out, which obviously he didn't take because he wanted to prove me wrong and he wanted to take the company from me because he wanted to prove me wrong that he's going to take this company uh, the way he wants to. And he just decided, as unfortunately someone sometimes that is very experienced in Nigeria, to involve police in this. And uh, now I know from history that things like this happen a lot, where you can just bribe someone to put an arrest warrant on you. And in order to defend yourself, you can only pay money or, or do whatever they want you to do in order for this arrest to disappear. And again, my ego came in. <laughs> wow. And I said, "Oh, now you're playing me like this. You want to show me who's the big guy in this Nigeria because you don't feel like you don't. You're not afraid of essentially going criminal because he escalated this from a business conflict into a criminal conflict. And that's where my stubborn, my stubborn self woke up, and I decided I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to fight this in court, and I'm going to show him that we can have a civilized business argument between two CEOs of a company, but you can't." involve police and bribe police and then essentially interpol officers to get what you want just to prove me wrong so let's slow down there for for a minute i mean so your your book is actually you know really i would say four books wrapped into one you know one of the, one of these books being how to actually deal with international law as a business owner and then you know the reason for that was the fact that you were being chased by interpol yeah. for what yes. happened in nigeria and first of all you know Describe the scene you found yourself in as you learned the news for the first time. And, and without getting too deep in the details, how did you get out really out of the trouble that at, from this point that we were just talking about and, and then, you know, moving past the whole Interpol scene? Yeah. So uh, we are already past the conflict. We're at the stage where we don't talk to each other anymore with my business partner. We just have our mm -hmm. lawyers talking to each other and trying to find a way to, to, uh, take this company out of this limbo because really the company was hurting. Uh, 
because we couldn't make any agreement on anything in the company because the, the CEO and the chairman of the board couldn't agree on anything. Um, and then at some point, I remember I took a break. I went to Dominican Republic to meet, because my girlfriend is Dominican. We met her parents. Uh, that was, I think, December. Then we came back to Europe for Christmas. To, she met my mother. And we stayed a couple, a little bit, couple more weeks, and we were at the airport. She was flying back uh, one way, and I was flying back the other way. But we were departing around the same time from the same airport. And I was going through immigration, and I was stopped for slightly more than usual. I would always get stopped a lot because of how many strange countries I visit uh, in Africa. And, <laughs> and then I was just mm -hmm. thinking about something, and suddenly those two big guys in uniforms come after me, and they say, "You're going to come with us because you're wanted." by Nigeria, and there's an arrest warrant for you, and apparently you're accused of something that will make you end up in jail if you're convicted for 21 years. And I got stopped, and I got closed into a cell. And it all happened so quick. I, they didn't even give me a chance to call my lawyer, which was uh, uh, officially wrong. I was only able to quickly send him a text message while I was giving back my suitcase. Um, and another thing that they've done incorrectly at the airport, it was Polish airport, uh, is that they've told me that they are now arranging a flight, most likely, for me to be sent to Nigeria. Which, again, wasn't how the formalities would really look like. But they kind of were not so aware how the law works. And that's what they told me. And they locked me in jail for the whole night. So I spent the night in jail thinking I'm going to Nigeria, being put in jail. In the process, I've realized I know what this is about. I know what the guy did to me. And I knew that I'm going to be put in Nigerian jail for as long as it's needed for me to sign the papers they would give me. And uh, I would probably sign anything they would give me very fast just to get out of this jail alive and well. And the night was really like a condensed grief, all the stages of grief in one night. Because I went from, I can't believe what is happening to me. This must be a big like hoax, like where's the hidden camera? Someone is playing a trick on me. To, uh, fear, to absolute rage. I'm going to absolutely kill everyone that did this to me. To absolute depression and uh, panic attack like oh my god my life is over and uh and you yeah, just couldn't do anything to then trying to you know uh, pray to all the gods i could think of running around in circles trying to meditate trying to do push-ups just whatever to keep my mind off it and after uh, of course i was crying and shouting and everything and then after a couple hours once i just was totally exhausted physically my mind started to take control again and i started to rationally plan every potential scenario in my head what can happen starting from tomorrow and i would go through best possible scenario and then land at the worst possible scenario i could think of and then i would plan what i would do there and the moment i realized there's nothing else i can come up with today i am mentally prepared for everything that can happen that i could come up with I can go to sleep now. And I fell asleep for like literally three minutes like before 6 a.m. before they, they woke me up. So that was one of the most chaotic moments of my life. And that's what I promised yeah. myself. I'll get out yeah. of this alive and I'll write a book about it to share my story. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, I, love, I love your quote in your TEDx talk. Uh, Be thankful for your enemies because they often make you stronger. Yeah. Um, I remember, I don't know who was that quote from, but if you have to lie to yourself, mm -hmm. it's better to lie to yourself that everything is your fault than to lie to yourself that everything is someone else's fault. 
because the difference is that in the first lie you take control and uh, in those cases where it's really your fault you can you can do something about it so so that's how I approach this whole problem because not to tell too much the whole fight for justice in Nigerian courts in France French courts because that's where Interpol headquarters is I basically took Nigerian police to international courts proving that they were bribed and what they did to me is wrong and then in Polish courts to protect myself from extradition uh, there were a lot of ups and downs and many moments I thought um, I lost and um, it's over like my I lost my savings to fight this in courts so I can run my companies my PR my image was damaged and so on and so on but at some moment again I found a way to give myself some power mm -hmm. to say that you know this shit has happened to me and the only way for me to be okay with it is to appreciate uh, how it has changed me in a positive way because uh, like hatred or just pettiness or some negative emotion towards someone. It's like drinking the poison and hoping the other person will die out of the, right, <laughs> because yeah. of the poison. <laughs> so I tried to turn the narration into something that empowers me and it's worked. So it seems like you've come through your difficulties with your entrepreneurial spirit still intact uh, and your love of business in Nigeria. So what are you working on today? And how have those lessons from your ordeal appeared to strengthen those efforts? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, the, the, the biggest lesson from this book is really for me, mm -hmm. from the person who wrote it, because I had to put everything into perspective. I had to put it into writing. And it's like w the best way to learn something is to teach someone else about something. Mm -hmm. I think the best way for me to understand myself was for me to try to explain what happened to me in the last 10 years <laughs> in that book. So it was like a psychotherapy for me and uh, uh, the best way for me to close my, that chapter of my life, literally and, and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I learned in the process is that I absolutely love uh, working in the emerging markets. I felt like when you're opening a business in an underdeveloped country, you're not building another social media app or another uh, financial tool that only creates virtual money. You're actually making real business so that solves real problems of real people. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the cool part. That's the CSR part, which comes from the from building the capitalism at the healthy level. I'm not talking about the multinational corporations which are destroying the climate. So that, that's what I've done for many, many years, now almost 10. And uh, when you count, when I count Poland, because Poland was really underdeveloped in the early 2000s, yeah, uh, that's probably going to be more. And and now I'm trying to continue that mission, maybe not not being focused only on Africa, but I also wanted to grow as a person and learn about other geographies and other businesses. I've actually invested in, in a renewable energy company called Sunroof, which builds solar roofs. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, we want to you know be better than Tesla roofs. And and I found it the same, the same satisfaction because this is not a product only for for underdeveloped regions. They still need solar energy because many times it's an alternative to non-existing power from the grid. But it's also a great product for Europe or states or developed markets because people want to be more ecological. And again, it's a, it's a booming mm -hmm. industry. So again, I found I think as naive as it sounds, a good combination for me of. Uh, of being in a great market that allows you to make money, I'm learning a lot because I totally change industries. And and free, I feel like I'm doing something 
good because the transition into renewable energies is good for the earth. That's what I believe in. So as we're actually working towards some sort of a new modern society that, you know, uses Zoom and it does so many more things online and uses solar panels as, as for the roofs, what uh, specifically have you done for your pandemic pivot this year? Um, I think that that decision to invest in the solar energy, which actually has been done before the pandemic, was something that really saved me because, you know, after I exited um, the e-commerce group, um, I, have, I have launched a digital marketing uh, agency focused on providing services to African e-commerce, retail, and online travel and travel businesses. So when the pandemic hits, 50% of my business died overnight because all my travel clients stopped operations. Uh, the retail kind of picked up in Africa. So I would think that my, my retail clients uh, would see a lot of growth. But Africa was actually not that lucky because when e-commerce skyrocketed because of lockdown in the States and Europe, China had so many orders that they prioritized European and American orders. So they'd start sending goods to Africa. So we couldn't sell stuff, even though we had the demand, because there were just not enough stuff in the warehouse, as funny as it sounds. But then I also focused on the renewable, that the decision I made earlier anyway, because again, I was lucky in my life. Because when you look at where the governments are now putting more and more attention into our renewables, and they also see the investments in the renewable sources across the world as a way to stimulate the economies. Uh, in Europe, in the 50s, uh, after Second World War, it, we, we had the so-called Marshall Plan, when America has, as the United States, have pushed a lot of money to building uh, highways, rebuilding infrastructure, uh, destroyed in the Second World War to stimulate the economy in a way. And it was very successful. Europe has rebuilt itself in an amazing way. And now it seems like the, the green investments seem like the second Marshall Plan. Well, um, and that's that's par very powerful. I mean, it just is sustainable energy, sustainable really businesses. I mean, something that I think a lot of people are really realizing that they have to figure out just in case, you know, something like a pandemic or something that's out of their control can, you know, it can continue on without just like one thing that'll cut off all of its its cash flow, yeah. right? And so, for example, with what we're doing in uh, my business, which was an event-based business, we're actually turning that around and making it into more of an information-based business up front with consultancy. But on the back end, it becomes more of a focus on building sustaining models so that if we are to work with a company that wanted to make an, do an event, then those companies would actually have to sponsor it before we actually put the time and resources into developing, which before COVID, we were doing all that up front. Yeah. And that's that's why the endurance industry has, has fallen apart as quickly as it did, because it's like no one thought about sustainability. I agree. I also would say that the, the COVID hasn't really changed anything in a way like, oh, we were going left, now we're all going right. I think it just has really accelerated the trends that were slowly showing themselves anyway. It's just everything is now much, much faster. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. Yeah. So uh, as we wrap up today's uh, 
chat, uh, we always get into the rapid fire question segment. And the first question that I have for you is who are three influencers or teachers that have launched you to where you're at today? Um, they were all at different stages of my life. Uh, but I'm gonna, there were many of them, but I'm going to use the three ones which are very known because they helped me a lot and people can also find them. It doesn't make sense for me to tell you about someone that you will never be able to get in touch with because he's some Polish guy that actually died already. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's not, you know, you won't be able to, to reach out to him. Tony, Tony Robbins was, uh, and his, his audio, that audio tapes, they really, really helped me set up my mindset properly to be just motivated. Uh, at that stage of my life, it was extremely powerful. Um, uh, I think Yael has mentioned uh, reading the four-hour work with Tim Ferriss. Yes. And definitely his books have changed my way of looking at work. Yeah. It was around 10 years ago. <laughs> so again, yeah. that was a great, great uh, mm-hmm. uh, teacher in a way uh, of, of showing different, different, different uh, lifestyles. And another one which I really follow closely, I'm not sure if you can call it a mentor or influencer, I don't talk personally, but I really follow uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and his work and, uh, and the people he invites to his shows. And he was the, the first one, I think, inspired us, us all to, to really defend a longer form of conversation that can protect us from mm. what media is doing to our brains. And... Uh, and then his choice of guests really relates to me. Like every guest he has, although they, it seems that the choice is so random, I feel like I have a certain similar taste. So I, I learn a lot by uh, by listening to his conversations. And then I always write, read the books of the guests he invites. So in a way, I the books I choose lately is thanks to Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> so definitely, it has a it has an it has an effect of, on me in terms of where my growth goes into, into which direction. Mm-hmm. So what's the biggest plot twist that you've seen in your day-to-day life? Yeah, I think that the result of, of my, all the problems from, with Interpol and, and that corruption in Nigeria, because for the first year, all my motivation is about, I'm going to prove those guys wrong. I'm going to put him to jail. I'm going to come back to Nigeria on this white horse, showing that the justice has won, I have won. I'm going to take this company and continue my work. It was all about it was all about revenge. <laughs> it was all about revenge. And yeah. and in the process I realized that this is totally in in unimportant for me because the whole fight and and I had to change myself in order to win this fight. But the moment I changed myself to win it and after I won it, I realized that this is not about revenge. And and I've kind of diverted my focus into renewable energies and and doing business not only in Africa anymore. I'm, I'm back in Europe. I'm back in, and um, for the first time in Latin America and Central America, I'm growing as a person, and also as a businessman. I'm learning new languages. Um, it, 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 I, I'm now talking to you from from Dominican Republic, where I'm starting to be more and more often. So, like, I've done nothing out of those things that I promised myself to do after I win, <laughs> but I'm still happier than ever. <laughs> So what's something that's going on right now that you think is going to affect entrepreneurship in the future and what, what are you excited about? It? Ah, it's, it's right in front of us, right? The, the work from home mantra has, is a double-edged sword because on one side, it really mm-hmm. makes work more confident or much more convenient for certain people. 
it definitely makes businesses mm-hmm. go faster because you can have more meetings at once. You don't have to go somewhere. It's easier to find people into the same Zoom room than one physical room. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, many companies will lose a lot. Uh, let me just give you an example of Apple that used to be a very creative company and what Steve Jobs was always trying to do when he was designing the new Apple headquarters with with people bumping into each other in the food courts or in the in the bathroom and, and working together because two people sitting together ex- exchanging energy, that's where the, the, the creative ideas come from. And, and many companies can lose because of work from home. So I think it's, it's going to polarize businesses very uh, that, that work from home because it can, it can make effective business even more effective because you just continue on cutting costs and launching faster. But they, the companies might lose on creativity and, um, and that innovative aspect in a way because they just don't have that, that person-to-person engagement that was, was where really the ideas were born. Um, I think it's going to polarize businesses even more. Um, another example now, American companies can hire anyone from anywhere. So they're going to suck talents from Hungary, Belarus, and Ukraine and Poland. They don't have to bring those guys now to move to Austin, Texas, or San Francisco. They will, work, they will make them work right. remotely for them. And this will kind of affect negative, negatively software companies in, in those countries. It's another way of sucking the talent into the already existing hubs. So that might also undemocratize uh, undemocratize the, the talent sector. It's interesting that you should bring that up. I haven't thought about it from that perspective because the way that I see it is that, you know, if you're actually bringing in VAs from around the world, that those, a lot of times those VAs have a lower standard of living. And so therefore you're actually putting more money into their, potentially their local area, you know, if you're paying them a reasonable wage. That's true. That's the positive effect where they just have more money to spend, but then you're not building that long-term value. You're not building value in the company. You're not creating companies which have intellectual property, right? It's just more money to spend, which is similar to having Mm. um, some immigrants living in Europe and sending money to their families in the, in Nigeria or in Kenya, that money is spent on consumption, but no value is being built. I appreciate that perspective. It's a basically like thinking thinking long term rather than yeah, I mean, it looks at the big picture, not just right now. Yeah, it, it can also be transformed in the right way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because repats, so immigrants. Let's let's take Nigeria as an example. Uh, many Nigerians would leave when they were fifteen to the States to finish studies there and work because their families would chip in and the whole family was chipping in to send him the, to, to the States. And then he was making money and he was making money back to the families to help them survive. Right. So that was that transfer of money, which, you know, didn't help any value being built in Nigeria besides just sending money to, for consumption. But then 2008 uh, hit, the crisis came and many Nigerian repats came back to Nigeria with their experience, with their background, with their network of connections, and still with their passion to the home country they came from, Nigeria. And then they decided to, instead of fighting for finding another job in, in the States, which were in the middle of the crisis, they went back to Nigeria and they launched some businesses. 
And with their experience, background, and everything they've learned in the States, they've brought back the technology and the money and, and, and connections. Uh-huh. And they've built very valuable businesses. Yeah. So there's a second step there, if it happens, that is, might be very positive. What, what message out there is a disservice to youth? I want to use examples from my sector. Um, because of how media distorts information and doesn't teach us to look at things from perspective and, 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 and takes everything from the context, there's this belief in, uh, in, uh, in, in the startup world, in the e-commerce world, in the technology world, where most young people are attracted to, that the only way to be successful is to drop off your high school or university, start your business in a garage, raise a lot of money, uh, grow, and, and then you're going to be the second Mark Zuckerberg or, or Bill Gates. Right. And we're kind of losing the traditional values that are really important in business. And if you don't look from the context, you don't realize that you know Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, a couple of other guys, were really exception, not, not the rule. And, uh, and doing things too fast just increases your probability of a failure. And, and entrepreneurship is not a game where you have seven lives. Sometimes you make a business mistake which will cost you your life. Maybe you won't die, but you will end up in such a depth that you will spend the rest of your life paying off. Um, and, and you don't hear those people's stories. And uh, if I could change anything in my past life, I would most likely, I wouldn't change much because I really am happy with where I am. But I think if I stayed at my university longer, maybe I wouldn't get that much more knowledge because the life knowledge and the practical knowledge is much more important. But the connections I would I would, could have built back then would really help me in the future mm-hmm. because many friends you will build at the proper university will become successful that might help you later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have made a mistake by jumping immediately to an entrepre- entrepreneurship, not really working for a bigger company. And what's a better way to learn how to build an international business than to work in one first? Because if you make mistakes, they will pay for them. Right. Uh, many people feel like, feel the FOMO, the fear of missing out. I have to take part in this revolution. Someone's going to steal my idea that I just got yesterday under the shower. I have to do it now. And the thing is, if you have what it takes, um, you're going to make a success anyway. And actually, the later you will start, I believe that the higher probability of your success because there will be less mistakes you've made. It's like that in that there's a cartoon in, in I don't know if you have it in the States, in cartoon in Poland where there was a the race who's gonna get faster and the rabbit or the, yeah, the, the tor- turtle. The tortoise or the hare. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's so relevant yeah. to business in terms of in the context of young people. Really don't hurry. You will start later, you will finish with success earlier. So it still all comes back to, again, looking at the big picture, not just the immediate gratification. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being able to see mm. a couple mountains ahead of us. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm. So this is actually something that it sounds like is, is pretty important to you. So uh, is really being you know, an inspiration and, and an aid to your community as a whole. So how can someone be a difference maker in their community? Where can they start? I guess I would have to, I would start by finding out what I'm really good at. Uh, if I don't know that, I would ask some people. I guess I would just find out what I'm really good at. 
And then once you know what you're good at, that's how I see it. The moment you 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 believe you're a nail, everything goes like a you know, the moment you believe you're a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. So mm. I guess the, mm. the moment you realize the, yeah, the moment you realize what you're good at, you will see opportunities everywhere. I love that. And I'm gonna give you a, a, a cool mm. example. Um I used to skateboard a lot. I loved skateboarding when I was a kid. And skateboarding was all about, you know, jumping down the stairs and doing tricks on the rails and so on. And I would travel from city to city with my parents as this young kid because they wanted to show me some museums or some old churches and so on, right? And all I could see is like, oh, these are such a cool stairs or this is such a cool rail I could jump on. So I was looking at everything already from the context of what I can do there because I knew what, I, what I'm looking for. Uh, I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, uh, really great conversation with you today, Mary. Love your perspective on things. And if people want to find you, they can actually go to your website at chasingblackunicorns.com. Uh, where can people find you on the socials? Exactly. Uh, on that website, everything is there. It's like a hub for all my activities, social media, articles, book, uh, my foundation that I have, uh, and uh, business initiatives. Well, sir, again, been a pleasure and uh, glad we ha were able to ha finally have this conversation. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> finally, uh, take care, guys. And uh, I really enjoyed it. The time has passed very fast. I don't even know when. It was wonderful meeting you, Merrick. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Hopefully that conversation gives you some new ideas to consider as you're ramping up for 2021. Uh, you know, Merrick has had some pretty unique experiences, when it, which I think applies to many creative businesses owners, especially coming out of 2020. Uh, so I think his perspective can be a great guide for many of us moving forward as we build and rebuild uh, the next great thing in our lives and the work that we're doing. Uh, to take the conversation to the next level, the show note extras feature him discussing more about where he's been and how he's leveraging that experience moving forward. Uh, in the first extra, I have the audio version of the introduction chapter of his book, Chasing Black Unicorns. You know, that way you can get a feel for the book itself. Uh, next, I have one of his three TEDx presentations he's done over the years. And this one hits the highlights of the story again. So it makes for a good intro to anyone who you think might be interested in his story. And then third is an interview he did on the Let's Do Humans podcast. And then finally, the last interview is a much more in-depth conversation with Candace Horbox on her show called Chatting with Candace. Again, you can check those all out in the show notes at newinceptions.com slash 191. So that is a wrap for 191. Remember, if you're wanting to build great sales funnels in the future without having to pay for every extra bell and whistle, consider joining me on the journey and learning the Groove platform. You can do so for free by visiting newinceptions.com slash free groove. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash free groove. So with that said, thanks for spending some time with Merrick, Yael, and me. Until next session, dig in, have fun, and take care in whatever you're creating, and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash new inceptions on twitter at new inceptions instagram at new dot inceptions and on the web at new inceptions